Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 311. We're literally in Isru Chag, the day after Shavuos, Zman Matan Teirasenu. I hope everybody had a very meaningful and revelatory recreation of the Sinai experience 3,332 years ago. The Teirah, God's mandate, blueprint, of existence was given to us, and every year we recreate it. We don't just remember and commemorate it, we recreate it. Specifically, when we listen to and we read and listen to the Ten Commandments, that said us on the first day of Shavuos, men, women, and children, as the Rebbe requested, he initially made that request in 1980, which is Tav Mem, 40 years ago, and I've seen in my own community and other places people innovatively finding ways those that minimally the shuls have been very closed, but most couldn't go to a shul. So minyanim, different places, all done correctly, socially correctly, based on the guidelines of doctors and authorities, found ways to listen to and hear the Aseris Hadibris. So this year will be marked in a way that God himself can see. Look at this unique nation that you have, that even in challenging times, Finds ways, finds ways to experience Matan Teda. And uh, of course, it's more than just the reading and the listening, it's uh, internalizing the message of I'm your God that took you out of Mitzrayim. And the following, the Sarasa Dibris, or 10 9 Dibris after Anoichi. So, everyone, I hopefully had a very healthy and meaningful and powerful Matan Teda. And now our challenge is carrying that energy into Israchag, literally means bound to the holiday, the day after the Yom Tov is bound. It's in a sense, in, this, in, in uh, spiritual terms, it's an interface of bringing the energy of Shavuos and Matan Teda into the rest of the year. So it begins with the day after, because that's when you really see the litmus test. When someone experiences something while they're experiencing it and they're having an inspiration is one thing. But if that inspiration translates into concrete action and behavior, that we live up to those guidelines of what Teda expects of us in uh, faith in God and trust in God, and then bringing it down into Maisib Apeil, because Asar are practical actions, things you should do, things you shouldn't do, that's the ultimate sign, that we become a more refined people, following the guidelines, following the, 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 the mitzvahs, the commands of the Asar Sadibris, Interestingly, people call the Ten Commandments. I always wondered. Dibris actually means ten statements, ten words, um, ten expressions, dibris. But it turned into commandments. I don't know if it's an accurate translation, but that's what's used. It's also used in, uh, in the Talks and Tales and other places where the Rebbe translates Dibris. So that has some, not some, that has full standing. But it's interesting, dibris and commandments are not exactly the same word. But regardless... The message is, as I said, a mandate, a blueprint for life. Now, that couldn't be more relevant than today because we're dealing with challenging situations, the pandemic that has affected all of us. And now, as the first question I'm going to address is the, the, another form of a pandemic, the riots uh, consuming now the cities across the United States. But before I continue with that, I want to just firstly dedicate this program, dedicated by Mark and Sarah Belinsky in honor of their wife and mother, Rebecca Belinsky, and just mention that 
a few uh, a few practical things that my life Chassidus applied. Of course, addresses all issues. Nothing is off limits. Go to chassidusapplied.com, a special website where you can find all the previous episodes, as well as a forum where you can submit anonymously, completely anonymously, your question or comment or feedback, critique, anything you wish. It also has the essays that people have written over the years, um, which apply chassidus to a contemporary issue or challenge. We are in the midst of finishing the essay contest of this year. It was delayed due to the situation. So you'll hear about that in the near future. And, um, and other resources, especially recently I began on Zoom teaching Ayim Bayes, the classic magnum opus, perhaps the Mount Everest of all chassidus, all Kabbalah, mysticism, Ayim Bayes from the Rebbe Rashab, which was, began to be delivered and written 108 years ago in 1912. So now we're in 19, now in 2012, I began teaching it then. But now because of the situation, Zoom is of course the, one of the options of learning online. And please, please join us. It's an open class every day, 9.30 till 10.30 a.m. Sundays, 10 a.m. through to 11.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Eastern Daylight Time. Um, you can go to chassidusapply.com and you'll find all the information, the Zoom address and all the ID info to be able to log in. And more resources that you'll find at Chassidus Applied. Specifically due to this pandemic that began literally right Purim time and is continuing. We hope that it's ending soon. So we've created special materials addressing the human challenges we're all facing, whether it's issues of fear and the unknown, whether it's personal issues, health-related or psychological or emotional, whether it's the pressure and tensions that it's creating in families, parents and children, spouses, and other, and other issues, of course, that come up and become glaringly magnified when there's a unique situation, quarantined from going to shul on the religious front, and so many different areas affecting us economically and politically and our plans basically have all been upended. Schools. So we created special section on both on MeaningfulLife.com slash Corona and AchsidaSupply.com. You'll find there plenty of materials. Probably in the last three months, I must have reached more people than in the last 10 years. The receptivity, the vulnerability, the commonality that we're all sharing in a time like this where people look in, inward when their outer life has been disrupted has really created a tremendous demand, and I'm honored to f- that uh, I was placed in a position where I, I sat at the feet of a, a Rebbe and uh, absorbed some chassidus and is able to some way give people some hope and direction and guidance. All the failings of a human being and all the, and all the challenges we all face, but the key is to stand together and to stand stronger than ever and realize that every challenge comes also with a bundle of strength to be able to get through any situation and that we should be able to look back at this time and say we've become stronger people for it. We've become a stronger Jewish people, more, more refined, more noble, kinder, more loving, more unified than ever. So, of course, in that context, the first question I literally got the last night, meaning Mitzvah uh, Shabbos, was in the spirit of what's happening now in the country, that in addition to a pandemic, that has affected everyone and people, millions and millions of jobs, that, you know, over 30 million people who have um, filed for unemployment. 
you found you see this uh, this uh, outbreak of riots due to the, the the meaningless and senseless killing of Mr. Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota. How do you look at this from a Torah and Hasidic point of view in the context of everything else going on? Another person writes, what is our attitude to this? Is it justified to go out into the streets and riot and loot due to an injustice that was done to one man in uh, Minneapolis? So let me respond to all of this. The word pandemic actually means, comes from the Greek, Pan means all, and demic comes from the daemon, means from the word people, all people, something that affects all people. Not sure why it's only used in the area of disease, but anything that affects all people can technically be called a pandemic. So um, when you see also an outbreak in all the major cities of anger and uh, frustration over what they call police brutality, you have to ask yourself, what is going on? Like any situation, we talked so many times, when something happens, Nothing's by accident. There must be something behind it. Now, this doesn't justify it all, but you have to still look into it. So let's begin firstly with, uh, with the, 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 the specifics of what's happening right here. Anyone that sees the videotape of what uh, was done to Mr. Floyd sees clearly this was an injustice, that a policeman should put his knee on the neck of a person to the point that he died. I mean, we all are uh, appalled, especially coming from a law officer, and justice goes, is for everyone. No one is above the law. So I think we all agree, I would say, I mean, I have no doubt, but we all agree about that. The reaction to that, is there police brutality? Is there insensitivity? Clearly, if one police officer could do that, others could also. But that doesn't mean that every police officer, God forbid, is a, uh, is a uh, criminal. So that has to be cleaned out and rooted out. Is a crime, one crime, justification for another crime? to loot, to harm others, to cause people to feel danger. Even if you were to argue that anger is, is an, it's an outburst of anger of this injustice and there's a lot of frustration because people feel police, police are brutal, maybe perhaps more with blacks and minorities than with others, especially when you see a white policeman and a black man. So even if there is a justification to that, I'm not going to go into it. I'll, let's our argument's sake, there is. There are many ways to express it. And um, doing criminal acts is definitely not a way. That doesn't mean we ignore, the sim- we, we look at the symptoms and try to understand, because there are people here that are also exploiting situations. Immediately this becomes politicized. Democrats, Republicans, you could see it, uh, people um, mudslinging back and forth that, 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 that the Democrats' fault is the Republicans' fault. I will say the following, and this is coming from a, at best, as my, to my ability, a Torah and Hasidic perspective, especially as I've seen how the Rebbe in a balanced approach. There's, there there's law and order. There are guidelines of what is correct and what is incorrect. When somebody breaks the law, whether it's a police officer, whether it's a citizen, there has to be justice. The basis of civilization. It's one of the Sheva Mitzvahs B'Leneach, which we'll talk about in a moment. That you have to have law and order on all ends. And everybody needs to know there's accountability and there is judgment, yes, and there is punishment if necessary as a deterrent. It's not because we're angry people. It's not because we're looking to get even. It's because any civilized world needs guidelines and order. Il Mali Merosh al the Mishnah in says, if there wasn't fear of 
the leadership of kingship of, of uh, government. One person would swallow up another because self-interest turns corrupt, turns selfish, can turn to the point where you can hurt another for your own benefit. Unfortunately, human beings can stoop to that. So that has to be law and order. That's not even a question. That's the foundation of it all. And when people feel that there's that type of justice across the board, and blacks and whites are treated equally, and minorities are treated equally, and people of all backgrounds and races, and remember, as a Jew, as, as, Jew, as Jews, we're acutely sensitive to this because we were usually the ones that were discriminated against. That's a, that's a complete aberration, cannot be tolerated. And the basis, especially of this United States of America country, is that all people are created equal. I said people, not just men, even though men is meant to mean men and women, and have inalienable rights given to them by God. By God, yes, created in the divine image. And that nobody can take away from anyone, so everyone is entitled to that. Any type of, uh, any type of attack or desecration of that fundamental principle needs to be held accountable. This is unequivocally, there's no option, there's no, it's not relative, there's no ifs or buts, there's no exceptions. Obviously, due process is necessary to establish something. You can't just say, due process includes witnesses, includes all that's necessary. Here it happens to be a videotape, which of course created that outrage. And according to the videotape, it's pretty obvious what happened. But still, you have to go through a system. As far as response, yes, you could argue that perhaps going to the, right, the, the, to the streets, people are, some people are exploiting the situation, and they're just criminals. But let's give the benefit of the doubt to some who are sincerely and, and genuinely outraged. So the going to the streets perhaps is a wake-up call of the need to bring that law and order back into place, especially in a time when we're so fragile and we're so vulnerable and all that's going on, where we should be united more than ever. And in many ways we are and have been. This is really, uh, really sad, more than sad, it's tragic because it's in addition to the pandemic, now we have this pandemic of uh, moral justice and uh, inequalities and all the, that comes with it. But I have to emphasize again, there are people who exploit. This does not mean there isn't justification to justice and needing to, to, uh, to, find account, to bring to account, to account and to justice people who've done crimes, including police officers. But the exploiters are unfortunately also a major part of the problem. So you have to really clear the air. And unfortunately, we don't necessarily have a moral leadership. Not in the political world, not in the business world, and even in the religious world. Very weak voices have been heard in the last few months, here and there. But a type of uniting voice has not really been heard. So we have to do it in a grassroots level, each of us in our own communities, in our own homes, in our own lives. And yes, it's unacceptable, again, any form of one person um, compromising the integrity of another person's dignity and life. And this goes on both ends, also in how we respond. This is on the immediate short-term level. But there's also bigger issues here. And just as I've been discussing about the pandemic on a bigger scale, let's talk about some bigger issues. And it's interesting, all this happening literally on Shavuos, on the holiday of Shavuos of Zmat Mat and Teresena. So you cannot ignore the connection one of the most fundamental principles of Matan Teru at Sinai was that the basis of all morality is that there's a God. 
This became the cornerstone of the Rebbe's talking all about Sheva Mitzvah B'nei Neach, which are seven universal laws of civilization from the beginning of time. That Amat and Teda was not just given 613 mitzvahs for the Jewish people, but the entire universal code for the entire human race, which already began with Avram Avinu and before that, the acceptance of it, the understanding of it, the consensus, but it was not formalized. At Sinai it was formalized. And just for the record, in case people wonder, they say, seven mitzvahs, you often hear people say, what seven mitzvahs, seven little mitzvahs? The Jews, the chosen people, have 613 mitzvahs. Well, let me tell you one thing, my friends. If every Jew kept the seven mitzvahs, we have Mashiach here already. Because it's basically the Aseris Adibas besides Kibudav and Shabbos. So the Shemis of the are not little small details. And the Mepharshim, the commentaries already break it down, just like every mitzvah is broken down. Some break it down to 30, to 90. Because you're talking about the fundamentals of civilization. You're talking about respect for God. I'm speaking the positive, which is the opposite of disrespect to God. Not cursing. You're talking about respect for life, the opposite of murder. Respect for family, the opposite of sexual impropriety. The opposite of theft is what is respecting people's property, respecting the environment, which includes, which is based on Eber Menachai, not to cause pain to an animal. Eber Menachai is understood to be a lot more than just eating the limb of a living animal. It's the whole attitude. And of course, the ultimate creating laws of homes of uh, courts and houses of justice, police, shaftim v'shaytim, Judges, justice, which is the basis of accountability in a world where you could have self-interest and different interests conflict with each other. So comes the big question. These are all basic things that every logical person can come to. So why is that Sarasa Debus begins with Anoichi Hashem Alekech when afterwards Le Signev, Le Sirsach, Le Sinaf, earlier Kabdes Avichavasimecha? Most of these mitzvahs are logical. Human logic would dictate them. What do you need the first? I am your God. As if you didn't have the first of the Ten Commandments, the first of the Aseris Adibris, the others would not follow. Explains the Rebbe in a beautiful way. Because if you don't have that solid, unwavering foundation of a God, then, then morality becomes relative. Depends on what people think. What's murder? The Nazis had a whole different take on what murder was. For them, murder was murdering a, a cat or a dog, pets, and Jews were not an issue, Rahman al So you can translate every, every moral law if you go based on you become God and you determine what is right, what is wrong, or it all falls apart. That's why the first foundation, the cornerstone, which the founding fathers of the United States understood and appreciated, is the first thing is the life, that all people are created equal and have inalienable rights given, endowed to them by their creator. Not by each other. Because as soon as you take out their creator, and I've thought about this many times, I've asked some legal constitutional uh, uh, scholars, why does this, why, they were, they were deists. They were deists, the founding fathers. They weren't particularly religious. They definitely wanted to kept, keep a separation between church and state. So why they put words, created equal? All men are created equal. They could have said all men are born equal. All men are equal. And again, creator, endowed by the creator. They said, endowed by nature. We have already the, the, the contracts, insurance policies. Acts, they actually write acts of God, not acts of nature. 
because they need someone to uh, blame, so they shouldn't have to pay. That's an aside. Creator, why use the word creator, which immediately elicits all discussion about a creation, about a creator? So I've never heard a full answer. My speculation is because they understood very simply, and they knew they were students of history. Take out creator and just say born equal, then someone can say, one second, not everybody's born equal. How do you know? Or even if they are, we can take away those rights. Once you, once you invoke the name of a creator, we're not creators. We're all creations, creatures. And once it's endowed by the creator, it's inalienable. You can't take it away from anyone. That makes it absolute. So in a way, they acknowledge the Anoichi connection to the other Adibris, which also extends to all the Shev Mitzvah that the first thing is a God, that we're accountable Life is not called the Alam Gvar, survival of the fittest, whoever is most powerful. We are answering all equally to a higher power, to a creator that put, gave, created the universe, created existence, created life, created you and I, and gave us laws how to live with each other properly, to live up to the purpose for which God created the universe. Is this a religious concept? No. That's why the, the founding fathers had no issue. Because this is a Moral concept. It's a foundational element in life. So right in that right smack, in the middle of when we're receiving the Torah and we're renewing our contract, the Sinai contract and the mandate, all this breaks out. You tell me, what lesson do we have from that? It's just two plus two equals four. It's very straightforward. You see here an outbreak of crime, whether it's a police officer against a citizen or it's citizens doing things criminal, Everybody is accountable to the same laws. So what Sinai teaches us, what Shavuos teaches us, especially in context of what's happening now, the importance, not just optional, the vital importance of reclaiming our connection, that there's a God, an eye that sees and an ear that hears, all of us, and we're all subject to laws. Yes, there's a due process to determining what's right and what's wrong, but it's all based on something that's not, comp- that, that's not optional, that's not arbitrary. So in the big picture of things, obviously the small picture has to be dealt with correctly in a sensitive way, addressing people's concerns, making sure crime doesn't respond to crime. That's one thing. But overall, the lesson is very clear. We need to embrace this. And this is a wake-up call. You could say, one second, everything is just falling apart. People say, look, everything's falling apart. The pandemic has, has upended and disrupted one part of the whole world. And now this in the United States is up disrupting our law and order and our streets and, 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 uh, and uh, danger and safety. You know, we're just getting out of quarantining, starting to move out. And now the streets are becoming dangerous. That's one way to look at it. That's on the surface level. The deeper way to look at it, it's a providing us with clarity. There's nothing like shining a light when there's an infection. And I don't mean just in the context of the pandemic. The healthiest thing is to see the infection. The worst are infections that are festering. No one knows what's going on to the point that it gets out of control. This is shining a light on the rifts in society, perhaps the inequalities, the injustices. And healthy people look at it as an opportunity to mend there was a time in history where things like this, not just were tolerated, were perpetrated by leaders. And they were in control. 
We are at least living in a time where people can protest, where people can cry out in a legal way, in an appropriate way, and not being exploited by other criminals and others who have other interests. So we live in a world where these exposed things, just as the pandemic has exposed so much about our lives, because when life is disrupted like that, as I've discussed week after week, we have to dig in and find deeper resources. And we have. Here too we have to find deeper resources. At the end of the day, yes, God created the entire world, black or white, Asian, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, race, culture, nationality. We are all created by God, seven and a half billion people and counting. And each person has a mission in this world because God did not create any extras and did not create any waste. Nothing to waste, everything for his honor. So we have to look, especially those that can remain focused, that should remain focused, and this is what we need to be advocating out there, to create a pandemic of goodness and kindness. And when there's an outbreak like this that has happened in the last few days, so yes, it's a tragedy that happened to Mr. Floyd. At the same time, the result of what comes from it should only Help us become better people and kinder people. And I'm not speaking in naive terms. We understand that more complicated matters and we understand there's politics. But this is the platform my life has applied to speak things clearly, as clearly as possible from the perspective of Teir of Chassidus. The Rebbe, countless times, and especially in the 80s, the Mems, would speak about the world being a jungle when there's no Anoichi Hashem Alekecha. That children will turn on teachers People will turn on each other. And these injustices that we're talking about are all part of the same thing. Every human being is in divine image. How could anybody put their knee on the neck of another human being to the point of asphyxiation, whatever happened there? And, and crimes that happen as a result of that are equally intolerable and should not be tolerated. So... That's the general take on it, and especially in context of Matan Now, this is a, a program, yes, my life is applied, but the Rebbe made it very clear in hundreds and hundreds of pages. I vividly remember the Fabrengans of Shavuos, especially. The long Fabrengans would go through the, into the night, start before the Shkia, before sundown, the Rebbe would wash, you know, let's say 7.30 or 8 in a, in like a time like now. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Fabrein would go for hours till after midnight, and then there was Kaisha Brocha. And the themes, especially in the Mems, the mid-80s, was all about Sheva Mrs. Bleinech. Now, I can't say all, but a large number. As a matter of fact, recently I collected all the Rebbe Sichas, without commentary, just the raw Hanochas, as they were written, from all the talks from basically 78, 79 through 90, over 800 pages. 800 pages, it's four volumes. You know how many, 800 pages, how many Fabrengans that is? Hours, and this was especially Pesach and Shavuos. Including, of course, Yutas Kislev and Yut Shvat, different psiches, but hours, hours on this theme. Like a true visionary, the Rebbe, ahead of his time, spoke about things that we have yet to catch up to. When you see what's playing itself out in the streets now, it comes very clear what those sikhs are talking about. Not just to prevent the negative, to prepare the world for a positive world, that we're at the threshold of Geula, 
And even though we see these outbreaks, the Rebbe made it clear, Purim Tavshim Zayin and other times, these are the last, the last fragments of his Baruch Yislabna Advarim, clarity of the last so-called uh, remnants of, of Golos. And we have to see it as such to intensify and amplify and accelerate all our actions around spreading the Sheva Mitzvah B'Neach, which includes a moment of silence, a moment of quietude. People should realize that we are accountable from childhood and on. And all this becomes glaringly apparent when you see what's happening right now. And it does connect to the pandemic, because the pandemic, though we could say it's not human actions, even though it's not been clear exactly where this whole thing began, this uh, infection, this disease, this COVID-19, but regardless, it also affects the human condition in a global way. And here, too, we have the two options, to be the best we can be, or the opposite, the worst we can be. I'm not going to say what's happening the last few days due to the riots is the worst we can be, because there's a lot of beautiful people and this has clearly been also documented that this is not thousands and thousands. Again, there is outrage, and perhaps some of it is justifiable and has to be addressed. But I'm not going to say that this world, that the country is kind of starting to burn. It just needs to address these real issues. Now, of course, the frustrations around being uh, quarantined and losing jobs, I'm sure, is adding to the fuel to the flames. And hopefully there will be people in leadership, who will recognize exactly that mandate, the mandate that many presidents of the United States, when they acknowledged the Rebbe's education, they feared Aleph Nissen, said this country is based on the principles of the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, starting from Anoichi Hashem And regarding the rest of us, I say the rest of us, who perhaps are not directly impacted by the riots in the streets and these uprisings, but are impacted by the pandemic, it's always a lesson for us all to recognize that God is running the show. And I say this specifically because I've been receiving, I mean, it's sometimes redundant, so I don't read them all, questions about what's going to be with our shuls and with our schools and so on. Now, obviously, we'd all like things to be back to normal, whatever that means. But you have to ask yourself, and I ask people all the time, I ask myself, are you drawn to your shuls because of God wants you to go to shul or because it's your cultural comfort zone? The Kiddush Club, the shul. And I'm not taking away. We know in Teir and Mitzvahs, even if you do something for ulterior motive, the ulterior motive will ultimately lead you to do it for the right motive. Not dismissing that. But when you have a situation where we were deprived, if you wish, or in some ways our, our schedules, our religious schedules were disrupted, you have to ask yourself, maybe there's an opportunity to challenge your own mode, your own mechanical, robotic, by rote Judaism. And discover that God is with you right at home. And yes, you could hear Aseris Adibris also in other ways besides going to Shul. And you can also internalize it to you and your children, your family. We have to always look at everything as an opportunity. And not bemoan situations that we don't have control over. Because God runs the world. Anoichi Hashem is a lesson to all of us. And it's interesting. It says in the Mepharshim, Chassidus cites it, asks the question, why doesn't it say something bigger? God, the creator of heaven and earth. That came, that's the creation itself is even bigger than anything. And one of the answers Chassidus gives is creation of heaven and earth by Kamashmul, that God could create. 
the, the Chiddush is that even when after there's a creation and there's a Mitzrayim, there's a place where we are enslaved, and in Ruchni's dictated terms, inhibitions and boundaries and constraints and limitations. So there you could say God can create heaven and earth, but once it comes to people, human beings, hurting each other, or human beings being trapped by their own trappings and by their own limitations, that is not a different story. God doesn't necessarily protect us. Comes that even in the structure of the universe that was already created by God, this God takes us out of Mitzrayim, which means on which you can fill in the blanks the Mitzrayim of your life, which makes it far more relevant. That God created heaven and earth is no question is a foundation, but that Creator also intervenes and helps us in every situation, whether we're dealing with a pandemic of on a disease level or a pandemic of human injustices and reactions, that is the power to give us the strength. Now we have to do our part to receive that blessing, but it's also to free us from all the Mitzrayims, which is how Chizah explains Mitzrayim from the word Mitzrayim v'gvulim, limitations, constraints, fears, insecurities, internal, external, everything, starting from the Tzimtzum Arishan itself was the first Mitzrayim, Mitzar, a Tzimtzum that concealed the divine, and everything evolved from there. As Chassidus explains, from the Tzimtzum came the Shvira Sakelim, the shattering of the containers, Miyotalavona, the diminishing of the moon, Chetet Sadas, the possibility for a human being to defy God and create their own agenda. And then, of course, the cycle that just decelerates until Avraham Avinu came and reversed the process. And our mission is to take a world with this fragmentation, and there's concealment, and there's Mitzrayim, and reintroduce Anech Hashem Alekecha, reintroduce the divine, reintroduce the purpose of existence. That's what we have an opportunity to do like never before, especially using the technologies that God implanted, embedded in existence from the beginning of time, which is what we're doing so much nowadays, when we can't be in personal, physical contact. So we're spiritually connected through these devices, through these instruments, through these technologies. Humans develop the machines, but the technology itself, the energy, the power to transcend time and space that these, type of the, that, uh, these technologies allow us, that's a divine force. Koyach Adir, as the Rebbe says in Mishpatim Tavshim Emdalad, Koyach Adir, an enormous and awesome power that God embedded into existence. Okay, my friends, good. So, I think we covered the Chassidus applied to post Shvus how we take Anoichi Hashem and make it relevant to our time. I just elaborated. It's also Pasha Nose. Pasha Nose, since we're talking about the power of every individual, one of the unique things in Pasha Nose is the repeat of every Nasi, every head of a tribe's offerings in Chanukah's Hamishkan. They were dedicating the temple. Remember, Nose is still a continuation from the end of Pekudeh, the end of Shmois, where the Mishkan was erected and established. The whole Sefer Vayikra was said then around Rish Chedesh Nisan, was when this Mishkan was established. And this continues until next week's Pasha, middle of Baalescha, where it says the cloud rose on the 20th of Ir, and their journey began further into the wilderness. So Nasi is still part of a continuation of what happened Rish Chedesh Nisan, which was the dedication of the temple. So we have every Nasi to every Shevet, the leader of every tribe, brought his offerings. But the interesting thing, and this is perhaps what makes the chapter the longest chapter in the entire Torah, is it's repeated. 
They all brought the same offerings. So you could have just said that the first one, Nachshem and Amenod, the Nasi of Shevet Yehuda, brought these and these offerings, and said the rest. You say, ditto. You could say, brought the same thing that the other ones brought. No, but each one is spelled out again and again. Explains the Rebbe, based on a Medrash. Because even though they all brought the same offerings, and the same vessels, and so on, the same wagons, but each one with their own particular kavana. Because every shevet has its own personality. And each one did it with that kavana. So the focus, the Torah repeats it to show you the importance of every individual kavana. So if we're talking about technical, yes, the Torah could have said one brought it and the rest brought the same thing. But no, but the Torah wants to show how important it's ready to extend. And the Torah is always concise. Even very important things you sometimes get just in a word or, or two. And here to emphasize the dignity of every individual. Which of course is so relevant in our times, no matter how many people are on this earth, each person created B'Tselem Alekim in the divine image with a unique role and indispensable mission. Everyone. And that's what we need to reveal. Okay. I did speak about Poshvus um, in episode 264 for those that want to have a complete picture of my life because it is applied. So that's a reference to an earlier episode. Okay, next question. So the questions are still very much focused around the situation we're in, but they're obviously touching about many matters that are not necessarily pandemic-related. Why should we believe that God is good in the same sense that we understand what good is? Perhaps what God considers to be good isn't the same as us. A very good question. Of course, in context, you know, when we pray to Hashem, Tev Nigla, that we want a goodness that's revealed and apparent to us. It was not a concealed or hidden goodness. Because Chassidus explains, based on Kabbalah, many places, that there's a thing called Chassadim Nistarim, Chassadim Uchusim, kindness and goodness that's concealed. And it's explained that it's even deeper than revealed goodness. It's so deep it can't express itself in a revealed fashion. So the only way is through a concealed manner. The Alter Rebbe brings it in Tanya, about Yisurim, about the pain, suffering in life. Brought in many other places. The Kutateta Bukhukesa we spoke about. I believe the curses that they really are internal blessings. And many other places explain the Gemara Moed Kotm where Rabbi Shbi sent Rabbi Lozer, his son, for blessings by the Chachamim, and instead they ostensibly seem to have cursed him. He comes back and he's all, he's all uh, disturbed. He told his father, they, you tell me, sent me for a blessing, they cursed me. His father asked, what did they say? And once he said, what he, once we related what they said, the, the Rajbi, Rajbi showed him how these words are really they're really blessings. It's a long discussion, these are even greater blessings. So one could argue, as this questioner asks, how do we know? Maybe God's good and our good is not the same. Do they even meet? So when we ask for good, then we ask for health. We ask this pandemic end. We ask for good things in life. All the blessings. Who says that what God, for good for God is good for us? So a few key points that have to be made. The Rebbe asked this question, in other words, in Chele Kei Sichas by Yigash. The, mission, the famous Mishnah, More precious is one hour of tshuva, return, 
and, my, and good deeds in this world than all the world than all the good in the everything in the world to come, all of life in the world to come. One hour outweighs the entire life and world to come. But then the Mishnah continues, that one hour of pleasure in the world to come outweighs all the pleasures of life, all of life in this world. Says the Rebbe Marash of Ekocha, that there's nachas ruch beira and nachas ruch nivra. If you're talking about what the Ebishter enjoys, nachas ruch beira of the Creator, that's your fashachas, but one hour is more valuable than all the revelations in the world to come. If you're talking about nachas ruch nivra, what we enjoy more, pleasure on our terms, on human terms, on the creation, creature's terms, one hour of Ilam Haba outweighs all the pleasures of this world. Ask the Rebbe a fundamental question. If that's the case, so Geula, Mashiach, is that only a reward for us? In other words, from God's point of view, he has much more nachas of us being in Golis and struggling in this world than Shuva Maisim Tevim. The only thing is, it's not necessarily we're satisfied with that. So the just sends us a candy type of reward, Mashiach, Geula, so it's only nachas ruach nivrim. But the Eibushter, from his point of view, nachas much not more nachas ruach in elam has in this world. And the Rebbe says no. It says even for atzmus, which means the essence of divine reality. If atzmus has to remain concealed, then that shows there's a limitation. The Eibushter has to also his goodness also has to come out revealed. And what revealed means also revealed for us. So our revealed, the revealed good on our terms is also good for the Ebrister. In another sikhim, the Rebbe explains it further and says, so who says, who says that our good is the right good? Maybe it's not. It says the fact that the Ebrister made that things that are revealed on our terms, like if someone says to you, here's a blessing, I'm giving you a blessing, and you don't see it. So you feel it's not complete. That mere fact that we're created that way, that something revealed demonstrates on the completion of a blessing, the consummation of it, means that also Lamaila is that way, because God created us that way. That revelation is critical. So it's true, you can have the etzem, God's nachas ruach, even without it, but it's not complete. And we see that from the human nature. That with all the blessings we have, if they remain concealed, something's missing. That indicates that Lamaila, that's the why God made it that way, because the Abishta made that Shlemus means also Gili. So that means that though, yes, it's true, there can be situations, at least for a time period, temporary, where, where a, a good is deep, even though it's not revealed, and maybe even deeper, but that's not the ultimate. The ultimate is that it should be revealed, that our good and God's good become one. And that's the ultimate answer to this question. So though it's an excellent question that needs to be addressed, but remember, when there's an element of when we're in pain, Hashem is in pain. Shechina, le'edem shechina imam. The shechina comes with us. And it says, kaloni mereshi, kaloni bizrei. That in other words, when there's pain on earth, there's a pain also in heaven. Kavyochl, so to speak. Imei anechi b'tzara. That God is with us in the pain and also with us in the joy. So God bound himself. Of course he could have done it differently, but he bound himself. And the mere fact that he created a world where goodness means revealed goodness on our terms means also ultimately for the Abishta's terms. So the ghoul is not just for us, it's for Hashem himself. 
And it goes both ways. God's goodness becomes something we relate to, and our goodness is a reflection of God's revealed goodness as well. What do you think about the spiritual awakening brought on by the upheaval? Well, I've spoken about this for a while, and uh, someone quotes here a powerful article, how during this coronavirus, new faith among young people now turning more prayer, turning more to prayer. Yes, we see a lot of people turning to spirituality, to prayer, to God, and that's natural. As I said earlier, and I've said a number of times, that when the material world, which we invested so much in, and we thought it was going to provide us with ultimate security, becomes disrupted and upended and destabilized, we suddenly realize, no, you can't rely on a foundation that's wavering, that's not there for you. Our jobs, our entertainment, our sports, our eateries, our travel plans, everything that we relied on, depended on, our schedules, has been disrupted, paused, one big pause. So yes, you can sit and complain and say and be frustrated, I want it all back. Or you can come to realize, as many are, that's not where security lies. Those are nice benefits. The security lies internally within. What are your beliefs? What are your values? God, faith. So what do I say? What do I say is that I wish it was without pain and grief and loss and death, the pandemic, but... After the fact, there is a tremendous wake-up call. I would like to believe in that, that that's the challenge. Will we be able to maintain it? Or we'll forget. I'd like to believe that there'll be changes in a, in a good way. Changes forever, both internally, our attitudes, what we value, our appreciation of the things that sometimes people think are small, are really the biggest things, family, love, commitments, devotion, our goodness and kindness. That's what we all want to happen. But sometimes when the door is closed, that door of opportunity, some people just gravitate back to what is easy and comfortable. I believe that it may not be a, a cataclysmic change, but it's definitely contributing to the general trend of changes that are leading to a Mashiach Dika world. And you look at history. Right now, everything is very glaring, very amplified. But the fact is, it doesn't have to have a change that suddenly overnight everything changes for the good. But a general approach, the weakening of the hold of materialism in our lives, the recognition of the importance of our nobility and our majesty and our dignity. In general, you see the, tra- the trends going to less violence, less war, less crime, notwithstanding what we're seeing right now. Didn't say it's perfect. But overall, if you look at a trend, the world has become a finer place, kinder place, humanitarianism. Again, not perfect. So with the approach, which is also logical, that God created a universe that will realize its purpose. It's all part of Anoich Hashem Alekecha, will realize its purpose. What purpose is that? That there will be a dirabetachtenim. That this material, callous, hostile world, tachtenim, the lowest of all worlds, completely concealed divine, where we can convince ourselves it's an agnostic world, we're on our own, will become transformed in becoming a divine home, a divine garden. That is a totally logical conclusion from because if there's a God and created the universe for a purpose, that purpose will be realized. But we're part of the process. We're partners in this journey. 
And after thousands of years of the billions and trillions of good deeds and sacrifices and noble acts and virtue done, it has transformed and refined the universe. This is basic foundations of Jewish thought. Is it purely faith? I don't see it purely faith. You could say believing in God requires faith. But once you have that, of course the rest follows. There's design, there's a plan, and there's the realization of the plan. That's why belief in Mashiach is, is equated with belief in God. Because believing in God without real, believing that the purpose will be realized is like missing half the story. It's not a detail. It's like a, someone driving a, locom- a train and you say the train's not going anywhere or it's not going to reach its destination. That may as well have not have a driver in the first place. Even belief in God, I would say, does not require pure faith because nothing creates itself. Is there absolute proof? Listen, we, God didn't make it symptoms, so there's a certain agnostic element. The Gemara says that Hashem said to Moshe, those that want to make a mistake will make a mistake. So it makes total sense that the world is evolving toward a better place and therefore uh, a pandemic like this. And even these riots, everything, everything, these riots are all leading toward further clarity and us being wise enough to mend the rifts and to learn our lessons. And yes, a spiritual awakening that turns into a paradigm shift, a restart button where we can look at life. Things have been paused, not in our control. What are you going to do? Maybe the pause is a way of rebooting your life, relooking in a new way. Will everyone feel the same way? Obviously, people are different. Some people are definitely going to tend to gravitate to their comforts. But others, a little more conscientious, a little more thoughtful, may not. I'd like to believe that the critical mass, that the overall mood has changed. And that will shift. And just like there are other disruptors, technology, Amazon, President Trump, that have disrupted the beginning of the 20th, 21st century, that that will continue in a positive way. As Chassidah says, a disruption is the ayin be'emtza, is the void, the vacuum between two realities. When one paradigm shifts to another one, it doesn't come easily. There has to be some disruption, or else it's just an extension of the past. So it's the ayin between yesh, yesh, ayin be'emtza, leading to the yesh of a new world. A new world meaning a world, yes, a messianic world, a world of world peace, no famine, no illness, no death. That this pandemic should teach us how to eradicate disease once and for all, not allow it to even emerge, tip, nip it in its bud. But we have our challenges, and we have our ingenuity, and we have the blessings God has given us. So empowered with Anoichi Hashem that there's a God that gives us the strength, not just creates, but also to get out of Mitzrayim. Coupled with God that says that my purpose will be realized in this world, but I need you as partners. We are partners in the unfolding drama. And we recognize that we are either part of the problem or part of the solution. And if you feel you're part of the solution, then you're a partner in the unfolding drama of this new world that we have the ability to build. Yes, each of us. Are you ready to take up that challenge? That's what was given to us by Matan Teira. Hashem said, You'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You'll be teachers. You'll be ambassadors and agents of my mission in this world, which is to fulfill and create a divine home. And you will spread it to all people you know. Not just the Jewish people, to all people. Just as Abraham, our forefather, did. To the point that the entire world 
will be aware of a higher presence. It's very easy to look at the world and say we're right there. We're right at that threshold. These setbacks are setbacks in certain ways, but they're not really setbacks. Think of them. There have been losses. There have been tragedies. But there's also a tremendous opportunity. That's my take on the spiritual awakening. Not just an individual, but a collective one. So I, as an eternal optimist, have absolutely no doubt that there will be enough people that will lead the charge. Will everybody just lead, initiate? That's not usually the way the human race works. Some people are followers. They need others to lead the way. But this wake-up call, this disruption, has the ability to literally lead us into a new paradigm shift, and a permanent one, a good one, questioning even capitalism itself, money, materialism, as I mentioned. There's a lot to talk about on this matter, but will suffice for now. How to manage your life when things are chaotic? Well, with coronavirus affecting every aspect of our lives, how do we learn to manage it all? Working from home while being a constant chef, cleaning lady, disciplinarian, game buddy, child psychologist, etc., etc. And on top of all this, the schools now need us to become teacher's assistant principal, Google Classroom and Room, Zoom coordinator. The list is endless. I would love my children to be learning and on a schedule, but who has space for every kid to have their own virtual classroom? While investing money in electronics, headphones, upgraded Wi-Fi, never mind the two-year-old running around while the older kids are trying to focus. It's all very overwhelming. Many of the schools have high expectations as well as staying on top of tuition. But we are only, we are only human and cannot juggle it all. Something has, has got to give. So what should that be? Well, the underlying theme that I've been discussing that I can say is every challenge we have, we're not asked to do something we don't have the strength to do. My heart goes out to you, as to many other, to, to the millions and hundreds of millions of parents dealing with these challenges, each in our own way, different people in different stages in life. But this is what was given to us. So first thing is be light on yourself. Don't be so heavy. You don't have to be perfect. You try your best. It's juggling. It is a juggling act. Nothing wrong with that. I think it's important not to have guilt and not to be so hard on ourselves and saying, look, it's not working out perfectly. Sometimes you have to smile. A mensch tracht, God lacht. person thinks, God laughs. I know it's not a laughing matter. We've been plenty of grief and loss. But there's certain elements sometimes in your home, you know, it's like any chaos breaks out. You have to step back and see what you can do. Children are beautiful people. They're unpredictable. Some of them are more patient than others. Some are more subject to discipline than others. You have to recognize those children and just really find for each one their path. It's not easy, and I'm not going to minimize it. I'm not going to say, hey... What's the matter with you? God, God, God forbid, the opposite. I mentioned before, our good is God's good. God sees your effort. And effort is vital here. And if it doesn't always work out that day perfectly, so it didn't work out. What's the end of the world? God has blessed you with children, blessed you with life and health. And things are not necessarily perfectly working out with this weird and bizarre, crazy world in which we are now. And hopefully schools, teachers, parents, children, everybody understands that. We're in it together which also makes a little lighter. 
And I think it's important more than ever to have that Ivdur Sashem Besimcha attitude, to bring lightness and joy into it, which really means so you won't be so trapped in that particular schedule. If a child one day just doesn't have it, you know, let them be. How do you balance it all? I don't really have an answer. You have to be creative. You have to be creative. You can, uh, you can, do, you can uh, bribe your children with a gift, with a toy, you know, find incentives. I just think the most important thing is that more love and more kindness comes out of this. That will make you an excellent parent and your children will never forget it. That though it was chaotic and though things were not exactly the way we envisioned, we were resilient. We were flexible. We were dexterous. We figured it out. It's like in any given situation. And Hashem will help that this will end soon and we'll be able to get back to more reasonable and and, uh, reliable routines. But never forget that everything is sent to us by God. And this situation has its own opportunity because it'll teach you and your children. They'll remember how you behave in times when you don't have it all figured out. And every day brings all kinds of new challenges because you don't have the normal structures and the normal schedules. And I just give you my blessing God's that Hashem should bless you, that you should uh, be strong and smile when needs need be. Hopefully, your partner, your husband, your uh, the older children can help in this regard, and find ways. I mean, things are as they say, loosening up a bit. We still have to be quite careful, but I wouldn't just rely on that. I think this time period will ultimately show that it pr- provided a new type of uh, experiences, which can only make us stronger. Does the coronavirus have any connection with Mashiach? The truth is, I should have read that one prior to the last question because it was a direct flow. Does Mashiach have to be an actual physical living person or can Mashiach be a new worldwide attitude of goodness and kindness? For example, in the near future when coronavirus is cured and people come out of their homes for the first time in a long time, there will probably be spontaneous dancing and unity in in the world with exchanges of gifts and acts of kindness. Can that new aura in the world be Mashiach or does it still have to be one specific human leading us? The answer to that, both. One of the most powerful things about the Jewish way of looking at Mashiach is very different than other ways. That Mashiach is not just an event that happens. It's a process. It says, the first day of creation, that the Spirit of God the breath of God, hovered over the waters. So the, so the, med- so the Medrash says, what's Ruach? Ruach Eshel Mashiach. Mashiach, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin. Mashiach, as I described earlier, was embedded from the beginning of time as the purpose and realization of why God created the world in the first place. So it's not some side little show, God forbid. Not a superfluous thing. It's critical. So from the beginning of time, Odom and Chava, had they eaten from the tree of life and not from the tree of knowledge, would have brought the gula. Throughout history, every good deed is a building block. You can call it a little Mashiach building block. It releases a little divine energy, which is essentially the essence of Mashiach, as Alter Rebbe says in the beginning of Perik Lamed Zion, 37, in Tanya, what is in Mashiach Tchiyas HaMesim? Divine revelation and presence in this manifest in this world. That was always the purpose. 
So it's a process. With every good deed, bring it closer. Ultimately, all the accumulation of all these building blocks lead us to what we call Gula. However, it also comes with an event. That that Gula, the moment of Gula, Shem says, is not going to just happen. I'm going to send a messenger, just like I sent Moshe Rabbeinu. That also was a process. Golos Mitzrayim. The Ebishter could have taken the Jews out without, without Moshe Rabbeinu, but he wanted a human being for different reasons, to lead the way. But it was also at the end of the process, well, at some point, Moshe Rabbeinu joined, entered the picture and led the, led the process. The Gula is the same thing. There's a process, exactly like you said, which is an aura and a worldwide attitude, obviously. And then there's a Mashiach, someone from Beis David, who's committed to Tehra Mitzvahs and influences others, will be the messenger that will lead us into this new era. But the era is being developed even before Mashiach actually comes. Definitely before Mashiach is revealed. There's a process. So both are true. And we are now in the process. As we told by the Rebbe, we're at the end of the process. We're at the threshold. And we have to do that one final thing that will ultimately have that eruption, pandemic of goodness and kindness that will transform the world. But not miraculously, because it was the end, it's a long process till this point. What's Chassidus take on always taking a bad thing and saying Mashiach is coming? Chassidus take is like I said, everything is going toward Mashiach. Things that are revealed good and things that are not revealed good. We pray and hope that it should only be revealed good and we shouldn't need to go through. But we have gone through Chavli Mashiach, unfortunately. The birth pangs in the worst possible way 80 years ago. But do we must go through that? The Rebbe has said many times, citing it, and the Rebbe is saying it many times without citing it as well, that the Ebershter can do it without that. And we've already gone through enough of that. We don't need that. That's already been covered. So when we see something that seems bad, we pray that it should end as quickly as possible and the revealed good should come out of it and that too should lead to the Geula. That's the take. Did the Rebbe say that increasing in acts of goodness and kindness is what we must do to bring Mashiach? Absolutely. When he was asked by CNN, by dollars, what is your message to the world, Rabbi, about Mashiach? The Rebbe said it's already been written up in papers. And the Rebbe said, Mashiach is on his way. And when we increase in goodness and kindness, that will speed it up. Those are the Rebbe's words, goodness and kindness, which is essentially what the Rebbe would say in the Sikhs, Tzedek V'yesher which is the essence of the Sheva Mitzvah B'nei'ach of all laws of civilization. I'm not going to say it's the exact meaning, goodness and kindness, but that's what the Rebbe said. The Rebbe also said, awareness. Why didn't the Rebbe say that to CNN? Maybe because it's not for everyone. Not everyone is going to learn. The Rebbe wanted an action. Different ways you can explain it. Maybe by doing goodness and kindness, it will lead you to learn about the bigger picture. But the Rebbe wanted something that is a message, an action message. So change in our work today to bring Mashiach. I greatly enjoy and look forward to your weekly Chassidus Applied Shurim. Thank you. With the world turned upside down and everyone struggling to adapt to the new reality, it is obvious that it's Mashiach's times. I was wondering if our Veda now remains the same as before. Are we supposed to be doing, every, every, are we supposed to be doing everything we are doing before in our new state, virtual, or are we supposed to be focusing on something else at this time? I would greatly appreciate it if you can respond. Thank you. Surah Tevis and Mashiach now. Well, the Rebbe made it very clear, and the Derech Yishara, the Rebbe's words after the Chavchesnis and Sicha, 
the direct path, the straight path, is we are given the tools. We were given them at Matan Teda and prior, not in the formal way. Teda and mitzvahs. These are God's instruments of creating global change and personal change. God gave us a blueprint. The Teda is a blueprint. We don't need a new blueprint, God forbid. We need to apply that blueprint and apply those instruments. And I say mitzvahs as mitzvahs from the word safsa, connections. So if you think the blueprint and the connections are there. We have the, the blueprint and the tool chest. What we have to do is apply it to our lives in a personal way, in a relevant way, in an exciting way to fulfill the kavana, the intention of bringing the gula. So we say to do something new. No, we don't need new tools. We need new methods, new ways to reach people. Yes, technology is definitely a way, much more virtual. So we have to look at this situation and be creative and find many new ways. There's also new receptivity. It's far easier to speak to people now. They're receptive. They're vulnerable. So all that demands new approaches. So it's taking what was always given to us, but translating it and expressing it in a language that people can hear. Oh, we're dealing with a pandemic. There's fear. You have issues at home. Here's what Teirach Siddur says about that. There's a pandemic in the streets. Here's what Teirach Siddur says about that. So is that new? It's new because it's applying to new situation, but it's the same message fundamentally without compromising the integrity of the original. That's the newest thing you can do, is take that which was timeless and always there, but articulated. No chiddush, the Rebbe came and was mechadish, the teireh mitzvahs and chiddush that was given. But the language, the approach, now shlichus is necessary. That was not done before. Either it was not possible or it wasn't the time for it yet. Technology exists now. So obviously we have to use that. And that's just the beginning. To sit and strategize and use our minds and figure out new ways. Absolutely. So we should, if anyone says, I'm going to just do what I did till now, that was, they say, insanity. Doing the same thing, expecting different results. It's 26 years. We're going into 26 years from the Rebbe, from Gimel Tamas almost. 20, 29 years. From Chofches Nisan. You have to ask yourself, what we did, that whatever we did did not bring the ghoul in the fullest sense of the word. So what is missing? You have to look for new innovative ways. And we have many opportunities today. Unprecedented new opportunities. Okay. I'll do one more question. There's some I'm going to leave for next week. But we're getting there. Miracles replaying. Did the Rebbe once say at a Fabreng on Shabbos HaGadol, based on the teaching of the Arizal, that when Jews recount and celebrate past historical miracles, that it can be make, that it can make the miracle replay itself in some form in the present time. So what miracle of the past can we recount and celebrate in order to have God make a current miracle and stop the coronavirus? Yes, the Rebbe quoted actually, it's the Arizal, the Ramaz, the name of the Arizal, Hayom HaMe'elin Venasim, from the Megillah in Purim. So Purim, where, where it actually became announced as a pandemic, in, uh, the, the, this coronavirus was Shushan Purim, interestingly. So on that posik, the Rebbe, the Rebbe cites from the Ramash, from the Arizal, that Ayom, what's a Niskarim Venasim? What's a Venasim? Ayom Meil and Niskarim. These days we remember what happened back then, Nasim. By remembering, we recreate, because time is a spiral, and the energy that existed then is recreated every year during that time. So exactly right. 
On a Purim, we can recreate the miracles that happened Purim. On Pesach, the same. On Shavu is the same. Because it's not just remembering what happened in the past. Commemorating, it's recreating. What miracles? Every miracle that you can call upon, let's call upon. Whether it's the Purim miracle back then, or Pesach miracle, or Shavuos miracle. What miracles can we call upon? There were times where they were Magefa, and the Tatus says what to do, like the Tatus that the Ebershter said, that stopped the Magefa, the epidemic in time of Kedach. And actually, Tatus, as we spoke about a few months ago, is one of the ways that says in, in, in Zehar, and Al Tarebbe said it, that Rizal says that Al Tarebbe, that learning Parshak Tatus is one of the ways. Obviously, we have to do everything medically, but the additional miracle is to do things as it was done in the past, which includes, by the way, quarantining is a halacha. It's a directive. It's not just being safe. The Torah says to do that. Learning from the Pasuk of Mitzrayim, that, that you should not leave the home. There's a purpose in that. So all of these are the things that help us recreate the miracle. Now, Hashem Shataka create that miracle. And hopefully this all ends very, very brief, short, short, quickly. That Mendel Haradokas said that he was quarantined in Tovkuf Lamed Ches, I think it was. Uh, I'm not sure what year it was. In Hebron, from Purim to Shvuz. Interesting, Purim to Shvuz. So, during Yontif, I was speaking in one of the outdoor back minion, and I said that Purim to Shvuz, Shvuz and Purim, the Gemara in Sechta Shabbos says, has a connection. Because by Matan Teira, it says, Kofalem Harkigigis. God held the mountain over them, almost like an ultimatum. So, Medor Abelar said they can have a tain of the Jews. We didn't do this completely with our own volition. They said Takanasav and Ishma, but there was some something compelled us. Comes Purim, Kimu Vikibla Yehudim, Asharichelu Lasis. Says the Gemara that Purim came through their own volition. It was completely from themselves. So that consummated Matan Teir. So Purim Tishfu says interesting that maybe when we have challenged, like with this pandemic, and you have to find new innovative ways to serve Hashem. Same Teir Mitzvahs, but new ways to do so with a new inner feeling, new panemius, a new emotional passion, that that creates the Purim experience in Shavuos and Matan Teira that allows us to recognize the real shlichus that we had here, was to wake us up, to serve God with a real sincerity and genuineness that perhaps may have been lacking when we did it mechanically and based on cultural comfort zones. So should help everyone who needs a Rufur Shlema should have a complete Rufur Shlema. We should really get out of this whole thing completely. The, men, the rifts in our society should be mended by recognizing everybody, justice, accountability to all equally. Keep it away from politics. Keep it away from all the other smokescreens, people using it for their own agendas and their own uh, sometimes criminal behavior. And Hashem should bless us that we should that this ayin be'emtza, this strange period, should lead us to the transition of a new paradigm shift. One, where that the business of the world would be nothing but to know God. Like the Pasuk in Yeshaya, there will be no more evil and no more destruction. There will be knowledge because knowledge will fill the world, will fill the earth as waters cover the sea. Everyone have a very post Shavuos, Simcha and healthy days of the Yimei Tashlumin. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. It's always an honor and a pleasure, and we should remain healthy, strong, 
And above all, be part of the solution of marching all that's happening, helping us march to the Gula Hamitis Vashlema. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chasidis Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chasidisapplied.com slash donate.